This is Relationship Truth Unfiltered, a podcast that ditches destructive traditions and delves into real biblical teaching about relationships. Welcome. I'm Julie Sedanko here with relationship expert Leslie Vernick. And today we're talking about reconciling. Leslie, one of our Conquer members posted a question the other day, and I thought it was really interesting. She gave me permission to share. So I'm going to read her post and get your thoughts. Okay. My husband and I separated after 34 years of marriage in November 2015 because of porn issues and verbal abuse. I went through years of individual counseling and therapy groups. He went to six sessions with a family counselor. For the first year and a half, we had almost no contact or communication. Our four children were in their late teens and 20s. It is eight years later. At first, I seriously considered divorce but decided to wait. I am 68 and have a small house now and a life of peace. He also has an apartment and is 78. We are friends and talk most every day, and I've seen many positive changes over these years in generosity, empathy, ownership of his failures, concern, and provision in practical ways. I've been praying whether total restoration is possible and what expectations to have in going forward. It has taken me a long time to begin to trust again. I guess my questions are, and Leslie, these are for you. Is it healthy or right for us individually or for our family to continue indefinitely as we are? I have no intention ever to marry again, and I have a full life even if I was to divorce. It almost seems harsh to me now to pursue divorce. I'm also asking myself what I would need in order to live again. I know some of these questions I must answer for myself, but would welcome wisdom. My husband would get back together tomorrow, but is respectful of my choices. Leslie, what would you say to this? I've known other couples in this situation where they actually do better not living in the same household. Um, So I don't know if him moving back home into your little house or you selling your house and moving into his little apartment would create some more of the stressors that maybe hinder the ability for the two of you to function as well as you do right now. Um, That would be something to think about. Um, So you said you have a full life. What kind of life does he have? I would be curious about that. Does he have his own friends? Is he involved with his children? Or is he still pretty dependent on you to create the family? So that would be one question. He's changed a lot, but is he initiating his own life? Is he building his own life? Or is it conversations with you, hanging out with you and the kids when you coordinate that? And then other than that, you don't have any idea what he's doing. Um, so that would be concerning to me. He still may be watching porn. You don't know that. If he's got a lot of downtime, he may um, be doing things that you wouldn't want to know and you wouldn't want to see if you were living together. Maybe you can be cordial and polite and, you know, even friends when you don't have to live with it. But if you had to live with it, how would you feel about that? So I think there's a lot of unknowns here. It sounds like he has done his work um, in some respects to stop the verbal abuse or to stop whatever else he was doing, but also he's not under the same stress he was under before either. Mm -hmm. So he wasn't having to take care of children. He wasn't having to argue with you because of your unhappiness about something. So right now it might be that in a half hour conversation or in a two hour family dinner or gathering for Christmas, he can be the good person he wants to be, but day in, day out, day in, day out. mm, I don't know. That's the question. 
That's really the question you have to wrestle with. So I think it's really important to continue to pray about it, continue to be open about the possibility of reconciliation. But you asked a really important question of yourself. And not only is it what you need, but what do you want? And for those of you who are listening, if you're in this situation, sometimes we get caught in what I don't want. I don't want him to watch porn. I don't want to live, you know, in stress and chaos anymore. I don't want to live financially broke anymore. But what do you want? You're 68 years old now. This is a time for you to dream about the kind of life you want to live in the next how many more years you have, which is limited now. I'm in that age range too. And so every day I think about it, what kind of life do I want to live as long as I'm able? And pick some of the qualities that you want. I want a life of peace. You have one of now. I want a life of fulfillment. I want a life of what? And put those qualities down. And would he add value to that? Or would he take away value from that? Would his presence, has he spent a weekend have you gone away on a weekend trip to see what it's like to actually be together day in and day out for a couple of days? Those would be good testers. You don't have to be intimate, but you're married. You can do what you want to do. You're a grown-up. But I would think long and hard before having him come home permanently that you might do some trial balloons of what is it like for us to be together on a cruise and a little cruise ship? What's it like for us to go away on a weekend together? What's it like for us to spend a whole day together doing something? Do some of the old patterns come out? Is he truly handling himself differently when he is stressed out or when you are complaining about something or when you do directly ask him for something? You know, and if you see those positive things, then maybe that's the next step that you can say, well, maybe, you know, we can do trial. You keep your apartment, live here for three or four days and go back home mm -hmm. and see how we do with that arrangement. But I don't think there's any quick decision that needs to be made right now. Well, now, if they do, say, do this trial or he moves home for a little while, there are obviously going to be some adjustment periods, some ups and downs. So how can a woman decipher what's a normal bump in the road and what's a return to destructive behavior? So again, I think this goes back to them doing their work beforehand. Like, what do you want? Like, if what's the benefit for us to move back together? What do you want out of that? What does he want out of that? What kind of life do you want to live by yourself if you live the rest of your life by yourself with each other just being friends and companions? Or what do you want if you reconcile? What does that look like? What does it, so if you want, I want trust. I want to trust you. Maybe that's something you would want. What would that look like? It would look like I don't see you spending long hours on the computer. Or mm -hmm. if I asked you what you're doing, you would tell me and you would tell me the truth. I wouldn't find large hunks of money missing that I don't know anything about. I wouldn't feel that there are strange phone numbers on your phone chat or all those, whatever it was that were some of the patterns. Or when I argue with you, you don't call me names. I trust that you've managed your verbal abuse right? That you're, when you're angry, you don't curse at me or call me names or whatever it is that you don't want to live with anymore. And what do you want? She said, you know, he'd been to, I, I think it was six sessions or something with a family counselor, but we really don't know what kind of work he's done on himself to overcome if it was a porn addiction, pornography, or that verbal abuse. Um, I know I, I can get along with everybody really well when I'm by myself. 18 hours a day. You know? Yeah, exactly. But, yeah. So I think that's really the issue is that she's, you know, she might be being 
lulled into a sense of, wow, he's really different because he is different. His, his good self, nobody has a full evil self all of the time, even if their good side is a manipulative side. Um, but I don't know if his is manipulative or he just has a good side and he has a dark side. But mm -hmm. she's not privy to see his dark side right now. And when he's in the mood or he's capable, maybe he has a good side. He can be generous. He can be kind. He can be loving. He can be thoughtful. Um, he can even be repentant. And those are all good things. But can he sustain it in a long-term committed relationship where you're with someone a lot? I used to tell my counseling clients, Julie, when I would work with them, they would say, oh, you know, you're such a good listener. You're so patient. And I'd say, anybody can do this pretty well mm -hmm. for an hour, right? And so my husband might say to me, you're so impatient, you won't listen. Because day in and day out, day in and day out, Sometimes I don't want to listen and he's not my client. And so it's easier to let some of your weaknesses or your personality flaws or your sinful parts of you take over in times when you're just living with somebody. And so I think those are the things that she really wants to not be dreamy about since we get along so well on the phone and since we get along so well going out to dinner together, we should reconcile. That doesn't necessarily mean that you will get along so well if you live together. So what are some practical tools that people could use when trying to decide, do I reconcile or do I not? Well, I think you can do the, um, the, the cost benefit analysis. So if we get back together, what's the benefit of that to me? What's the benefit of that to our children? What's the benefit of that to him? If we get back together, what's the cost of that to me? What's the cost of that? To him what's the cost of that so we lose some of our privacy we lose some of our freedoms we lose perhaps some of our independence how important is that to you how important is that to him and then if i don't get back together but we just stay as is what's the benefit of that to me what's the benefit of that to our children or to him what's the cost if we don't get back together and at this age, we all think of, you know, emergencies, like if he gets sick or if you get sick, would he be there for you? Probably. Even if you didn't get back together from what you're saying. And if he got sick, you'd be there for him, right? So it sounds like that commitment to care for better or for worse in those worst times, if you were had a stroke or you had a heart attack or you broke your leg, he would be there to help you. Or if he did that, you would be there to help him. But does that mean you should live together full time? I think that's really the question in terms of reconciling your marriage is that full restoration of trust and safety possible. And that doesn't mean it's not going to have some bumps in the road and that doesn't mean it's going to be hard. But really look at the bigger picture. Is this beneficial to us or would it cause more harm to a pretty good relationship because we can't handle living with each other. I can't handle knowing he's still watching porn in the bedroom. I can't, I don't want to handle it. I don't want to even know it's easier for us to have a nice dinner and him go home and do what he's going to do. And I don't want to know about it. Right. And so I think those are the questions. And I think the second thing would be to, if, if he brings it up, like I'd like to move back together, then I think you can have that conversation. Like, well, what would, what would that look like to you? And what about some of the problems that caused us stress before? Are you still watching porn? Has he been truthful with you? How would a woman know for sure? Like, what are some red flags? Like, yeah, I know you really want to get back together. You want that marriage. You don't want a divorce, but you are not 
at a place of reconciling and it's it it just would not be a good thing what would be some situations where you would tell a woman absolutely not well again that's not my decision to make that's her decision to make so i think those those would not not be my words you should not um i think those are her decisions to make and this one would be too because that's part of being an adult is you get to decide even when you make okay. a mistake i think it's hard for a woman to ask herself what she wants i think it's so easy for us to think what does god want what does he want what do my kids want and those are all legitimate questions to ask what does god want what do my kids want what does he want but i think fundamentally at this age when you're this old it's time for you to also ask yourself what you want what is good for you what brings life to your spirit and it sounds like companionship with him has brought some life to your spirit but that you have other parts of your life that are also meaningful to you like peacefulness like you have a full life you're busy with other things will his presence in the home impact those other good things or will it harm that and so those are the questions that you need to ask but i think if you're considering that and you already know he would move back home in a heartbeat i think just beginning to have some conversations with him will kind of show you wow we can move forward or huh, this isn't a good idea right so if you started to have some conversations and you said hey if we did try moving back together what would that look like for you how would you want to spend your days how do you spend your days now i don't even know and see if he can answer what does he do with himself oh i watch you know tv 8 hours a day until we go out to dinner well is that what you want to sit at home watching him do is that going to annoy you is that going to aggravate you is that going to keep you from inviting your friends over in your small house and i think those are really important things to ask yourself if this is going to be more irritating aggravating or blessing for both of you you've counseled a lot of people a lot of couples lesley a uh, lot of women have you seen a marriage successfully be reconciled especially after it's been involved in pornography and if so what what were the biggest indicators of success one that pornography was over and that doesn't mean that there isn't ever a temptation to go back whenever you're an addict to something um whether you're an addict to food or sugar or alcohol or drugs or pornography it's a draw it's always a draw and so how aware of that draw is he so healthy people and we've talked about this before but healthy people have a at least a medium degree of self-awareness now we all lie to ourselves so we also have blindness all of us but the self-awareness piece helps us be aware that we also have a dark side and we're blind to our dark side just like self-awareness knows i can't see the back of my head without a mirror right i don't assume that the back of my head and my hair looks fine without checking the mirror because i'm aware enough to know i can't see the back of my head without looking in the mirror right it's not that i can do it all by myself but i'm aware i need a helper to give me that discernment if someone is unhealthy they're not aware enough of themselves and they're not aware enough 
to allow other people to give them the feedback they need to grow. So my question would be, is this man growing in his self-awareness of pornography as a problem, as an addiction? Is he able to own that, admit that, take responsibility for that? And if so, great. So now what's he doing to protect himself? What boundaries has he put in place? for himself so that he doesn't fall into temptation. So for example, if I had an addiction to alcohol or if I had an addiction to drugs, I'd probably have to find new friends. I probably wouldn't be able to go out to a Christmas party where a lot of alcohol was being served unless it was pretty much sober for a long time or I had accountability partners with me, those kind of things. I would have checks, but my spouse wouldn't do that for me. I would do that for me because I want to stay sober. Right. So I think this is where women get really confused because they start trying to be his accountability partner and put the structure in place for him around pornography, which he hasn't initiated doing. And that's his work to do. So those would be conversations that if they were to reconcile, I would be curious about. I would say, you know, one of the things that broke our marriage up and I couldn't live with was pornography. How are you doing with that? And I would do it in a very non-judgmental way. Hey, we all have issues. I'm not uh -huh. judging. I just know I can't live with that again. So if that's something that's still a struggle for you, probably it's not a good idea that we live together, right? I'm happy to have dinner with you occasionally. I'm happy to talk with you on the phone. I still care about you, but I don't think I can live with that in my house. Leslie, let's say a woman, you know, they've done the trial and, and they're like really wanting to give reconciliation a go. What are some ways that a woman in that situation can stay safe? Well, again, she practices staying safe ahead of time. So does he respect her no? All right, you can't be safe if you don't have a no, if you can't say no, or when you say no, you're verbally abused or you're physically abused. So I would practice no while you're separated. So, hey, no, I can't talk on the phone right now. I'm busy. I'll call you later. No, you can't come over for dinner. I've got company. How does he handle her no now? I'm sure she says it. So how does he handle that? Is he respectful? Is he curious? Is he critical? Is he judgmental? Is he manipulative? Is he badgering? How does he accept her no now? No, I'm not ready to reconcile. No, I don't want you over for dinner. No, you can't borrow money. Whatever it might be. Does she have a no? Does she use it? And how does he handle her no? That would be one big clue. How can I be safe? I have a no. Even when I live with someone, if I'm getting scared or I'm getting overwhelmed or I'm getting even in my marriage, I might say, you know what? I'm too tired to talk about this anymore. I don't want to talk. My husband and I just had that exact conversation the other day because right. we we're having a party that night and, you know, something came up and I said, not today. I said, I don't have the bandwidth to, to do this today. So, yeah. yeah. So how do, how do they handle that? So do they, they might be disappointed. Well, I really want to talk about this or this is really important to me and to say, I don't have the bandwidth to help you with that, or I don't have the bandwidth to do that right, right now. Do they receive your no? As disappointed as they might be, they're allowed to be disappointed. Or do they manipulate, badger, verbally abuse, threaten? So that would be one way that you stay safe. But I would never want to reconcile with someone that I had to worry about that. Yes. You shouldn't right? have so, to worry. So, mm -hmm. Right. So if, she, if she's thinking, oh my gosh, how do I keep myself safe? Then that's a really big red flag that this is not time to think about reconciliation at all, right? And so if she's worried about that, then, then she needs to test safety while they're apart. 
And this is this is the this is the craziness that pastors and sometimes marriage counselors will say, well, if you're separated, you can't work on the marriage. You absolutely can absolutely. work on the marriage. Yeah. Right. Because if you don't have safety and he doesn't respect your no while separated, then you can't ever get to the deeper conversations because you're not safe to talk about what you really feel and what you really think. Right. And so separation is a good place to test whether your no is respected, your boundaries are respected, or are they continually pressured, guilt tripped, pushed against, banged on, violated? And if they are, I don't care how good his good self is, his bad self is still too toxic to live with. Is there a minimum or recommended amount of time for separation? I think there has to be a minimum of a couple of months. Anybody can do something short term. Like I said, I can listen really well for an hour, right? But in but when I'm stressed out, when someone sees me day after day, I might not always listen well, or I might not always be as patient as I would like to be when I'm consciously trying to be patient. So I think the thing is separation for at least a minimum of three to six months gives you a test time of they really have to learn to function on their own. And you really have to learn to function on your own, which requires each of you to have the opportunity to be healthier yourselves. So when you have an unhealthy person married to another unhealthy person, there is no way you can have a healthy marriage. So when you're separated, the goal isn't necessarily to work on your marriage. The goal is to work on yourself to be the healthier person so that your marriage can be a healthier marriage. And if he's not working on himself, but he's just pressuring you to get, let him come home, forgive, do your work so that you don't hold this against him, let the past be the path, all of those kind of things, then that's really not going to end up in anything new. You're just going to play the same song, different verse when you come back together. So I think you need that time apart for you to do your work, to see clearly what's really the problem and not just what's his problem. I think women get really focused at the beginning of blaming him. Like, yes. He's into porn. He's doing this. And he is. We're not, we're not minimizing that at all. But you can't work on his problem. You can only work on yours. Mm -hmm. And so why have I allowed myself to be treated this way for so long? Why have I not been able to stand up for myself? What have I believed about myself that has been willing to put up with this mistreatment for so long? That's your work to do. And in those separation times, you can work on that, and I hope she has, just like hopefully he has, so that when you interact with each other, even in a separated place, for the sake of your children, for the sake of the Lord, for the sake of your own legacies, yeah. you are treating each other with dignity and respect as a co-image bearer of God. And you're not treating each other with hate and disdain. Um, but whether you can sustain that long-term in a living relationship um, might be different. Are you tired of feeling stuck in a never-ending cycle of relationship struggles? Do you find yourself constantly questioning whose problem it really is? Is it your problem? Is it their problem? Does the solution even exist? It's time to stop the guesswork and start finding answers. If you've been making endless sacrifices that don't seem to be helping, if you're walking on eggshells to avoid triggering emotional explosions, and if you're feeling drained, depressed, and unwell, it's time to make a change. Join us for a free eye-opening workshop happening Tuesday, February 13th. During this workshop, you'll actually begin to understand the dynamics of your relationship, learn to define boundaries, and begin taking steps toward your own growth. 
go to leslievernick.com forward slash okay and take the first step redefining your relationships and rediscovering yourself. So Leslie, I know that you have so many amazing free and paid resources for women to do their work. It's, it's incredible. Say there's a couple that's separated and the guy does want to do his work. What resources are out there for him? What does doing his work look like? There are resources out there. There might not be in our ministry because we deal mostly with women. Um, Chris Moles has some great ministry resources for men. Um, Andrew Bauman has some great ministry resources for men. He has a book called How Not to Be a, a Asterisk. It's a bad word. <laughs> a bad word in your marriage. And it's a pretty good book for men to learn that the things they thought were manly might be more jerky and that they need to learn what it means to be vulnerable, to be thoughtful, to be curious without losing their manliness, but still loving their wives. And so sometimes they never grew up with a father who showed those things or a mother who required those things of, of people in her life. And so she didn't, she accepted mistreatment and that was seen as normal. So I think that there's that, those are the resources out there on how to get healthier. I think, you know, the Bible tells us that we're to learn, um, in the communion exercise, when we take communion, it says, examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. Well, examining yourself requires a bit of self-awareness, a pause, and to say, you know, search me, O oh God, see if there be any wicked way in me. And when we see that we've been unkind, prideful, deceitful, mean, adulterous, when we see those things, what do we do with that? It's not just confession. Confession is important, but repentance means change. Put off the old self. Put on the new self. And so certainly the Bible has lots of things that it teaches us to do, but we don't do them well all by ourselves. And so if a man is wanting to change, there's some resources out there. There's books. There's good books on there. There's podcasts. There's videos that they can watch. We'll put a link to one of the videos I gave for men to watch who are in destructive marriages. But at the end of the day, I'm at the age now to know even in my own life, change comes best when you do it in a community of other people who are changing mm -hmm. because you have that support and that accountability to help you when you get to the discouragement part, when you get to the rough times when, you know, I've done this so long and I don't really see any changes or nothing's happening in my marriage, even though I'm changing, she's not forgiving me. So you need that support and accountability to really make those changes long-term. You also need practice. So one of the things that I feel unhealthy people don't have, and I don't know about this couple in this, in this um, relationship that we're talking about, but, you know, we hear a lot about EQ, emotional intelligence, um, and people who don't have high EQ or don't have any EQ can't have healthy relationships. Mm -hmm. And healthy relationships, whether you're married or not, healthy relationships are essential to your long-term physical and mental health. And so to really begin, there's a book called EQ 2.0, and there's EQ tests that you can take on emotional intelligence. Can you be empathetic? Can you understand the feelings of someone else? Can you delay gratification? That's part of emotional intelligence. Can you say, wow, if I watch porn now, I'm going to ruin my marriage. Is it worth it? Can I delay gratification and not do this tempting, sinful thing that will give me great pleasure now, 
for a greater reward later. Being able to study now instead of go out and play as a kid so that I get a good grade, so that I can go to school and get a good job someday is part of emotional intelligence. And when we don't have that capacity and those skills, we don't do as well, even if we have high IQ. And so really helping ourselves grow to be a healthy whole person is God's will for us. And so, so many people in marriage, this woman's question, is it God's will for me to reconcile? Is it God's will for me to reconcile? Yes. And it seems to me that they have reconciled. Yeah. Whether they choose to live together or not is another question, but they have reconciled. But it's also God's will for you to mature and live a holy life. And whether or not he's on that page right now and walking in that direction so it says, how can two walk together unless they are similar, right? You don't yoke an ox with a mule because they have different gates. And so they might be reconciled in the fact that they don't hate each other, that they can have dinner together, they can function as a family when necessary. But whether they can live together as husband and wife for the long term, I don't know. And she'll have to ask herself and watch him and ask him some questions to see whether that possibility exists. Would it be okay or right or biblical if they stayed separated and as they are living separately and getting along? I think so. I think so. And I think there's a little bit of precedent for that. Genesis 23, when Sarah, Abraham's wife, was 127 years old, she died at Kiriath Abba, now called Hebron, in the land of Canaan. There Abraham mourned and wept for her. Then leaving her body, he said to the Hittite elders, Here I am, a stranger and foreigner among you. He didn't live with Sarah. Oh. Please sell me a piece of land so I can give my wife a proper burial. The Hittites replied to Abraham, Listen, my lord, you are an honored prince among us. Choose the finest of our tombs. So, Sarah left Abraham, or Abraham left Sarah. Not sure, but they didn't live together. If you look on the map, where Abraham lived and where Sarah lived were about 50 miles apart, hmm. which was a long way by camel. Yeah. <laughs> right. So, um, and God didn't say anything about that. He didn't say it was wrong, that she was unbiblical, that they died in disgrace. Didn't say anything about it. It just mentioned it very casually in the scriptures. I wonder what the reasons were. Maybe Sarah had enough of Isaac's, <laughs> not Isaac's, maybe Sarah had enough of Abraham's stuff. I don't know. You know, Abraham wasn't the best husband. You know, right. He, he kind of lived in fear of her being stolen away. So he actually gave her away to two different kings as his sister. So she might have she might have been some, tired of acting, yeah, for yeah, sure. she might have been tired of some mistrust or feeling very discarded. Um, who knows? God didn't give us that piece of information. But I think it's interesting that he did give us this piece of information. And it doesn't have anything pejorative, not negative to say about either one of them. Hmm. Other than we know that they weren't living together, even though they were still married. It's interesting. I hope that this has given our listeners some things to think about when you know, trying to decide separation, reconciliation, how to stay safe, 
and making those decisions for yourself and thinking those things through. So I'm going to put a lot of resources in the show notes and hope that those will be helpful to you as well. Yeah. And I think it's not just staying safe, but she made a statement. I feel peaceful. I live peacefully now. And God calls us to live in peace. Mm. He doesn't call us to live in conflict as much as it depends on you, be at peace with one another. And so if we have the opportunity to live in peace versus conflict, I choose peace. And so again, I think this woman can make a decision. How do we do conflict these days? Well, we don't because we have our separate money. We have our separate houses. There's not a lot to argue about because we don't have to share a lot. Mm-hmm. But if we were together, we would have conflict, which is true in any household, right? You don't get a household without some conflict. But how would we do conflict? We don't know that because we haven't done conflict for a while. So what would it be like to do conflict with this man at this point? Would it be safe? Would it be constructive? Or would it default back to how it was? And are you going to be struggling with that PTSD if there's an argument and you're feeling like it's the past when maybe it's not, but have you healed from that past, I think is another thing. Yeah. Yeah. So we don't want to discourage you from testing it. Test it for a weekend. Test it for a week's vacation. See how it goes. Don't jump into it, but also don't let anyone pressure you into prematurely moving back together when you're not feeling quite ready. Absolutely. You want to pray for our listeners? Yeah. Lord, thank you so much for the opportunity to share and just to have a conversation about issues that are not all black and white all the time. The church would like everything to be yes or no, right or wrong, good or bad, black or white. And there's a lot of gray. And Lord, help us to find freedom in that gray space, that we don't all have to do it the same way. We don't all have to think the same way. We don't all have to be cookie cutter models of one person in scripture. There's a variety and people did things differently. And as we see, Abraham and Sarah didn't live together at the end of their marriage for whatever reason. Father, help us not to put each other into a box where we have to do it a certain way in order to be okay. I pray that you would give this couple freedom to make a good decision for their well-being and for the glory of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us today on Relationship Truth Unfiltered. If you're struggling with a destructive relationship and wondering if there's a way out, you're not alone. It's time to break free from the cycle of uncertainty and frustration. Join us on Tuesday, February 13th for Leslie's free workshop titled, I'm not okay when you're not okay. Defining my problem, your problem, and our problem. All you need to do is head over to lesliebernick.com forward slash okay. Don't miss out on this incredible opportunity to understand your relationship dynamics, learn to set boundaries, and find your own path to personal growth. Right now, go to lesliebernick.com forward slash okay. And let's embark on this journey together.